This is HOPE, Behavioral Health and COVID-19 from Health Management Associates. I'm Annalisa Baker, your host, a senior consultant at HMA, a licensed clinical social worker, and a proud lifelong New Yorker. This is a series we're creating specifically for you, New York's behavioral health providers. We created this for New York, the epicenter, but we think this information will be valuable to anyone in the behavioral health field. You're the heroes on the ground, serving our most vulnerable populations in the middle of a pandemic. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from behavioral health leaders about industry innovations and our clinical experts about best practices and client engagement. We'll also be discussing emotional fallout and practical self-care. We are going to talk about grief today. Admittedly, we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, but this conversation is extremely relevant now on June 3rd as we enter the second week of protests over George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. Our grief now takes on another dimension in this crisis, and I hope this conversation helps us all find a moment of hope and peace. Let's listen in on our HMA principals, Dr. Gina Lasky and Dr. Jeff Ring. Gina, why is grieving at this time different for the providers on the ground? Well, Annalisa, I feel like that's such a huge question. Part of it is it's everywhere, and it's everything. It's grief about loss of family trips, grief of loss of family gatherings, loss of economics, loss of a sense of stability in the world, loss of school for children, loss of sanity and structure for parents. I mean, I think each of us have lost something that we really cared about, and each of us are facing the fear of many, many more losses. I think that the other big difference is that the fear, the anxiety, some of the personal things that are happening to our clients that might be coming up in sessions are absolutely the same things facing us. Seeing people get sick, worrying about people getting sick, worrying about ourselves getting sick, feeling anxious, or even some panic about whether your symptoms are COVID or what's going to happen if you do get it. I think that we as therapists have never really been trained. We've been trained to treat trauma. We've been trained to think about pain and grief for individuals, but we have not really been trained to do that when the same thing is being experienced by us. So usually when we treat someone with trauma, it's a trauma we've not experienced or it's a trauma in the past. So we're trying to empathize and understand that experience. Right now it's all the same. And I think that's very different. It's a different kind of empathy. It's a different kind of self-awareness and self-reflection and much more in the moment than we generally are practiced at. So I think those are just some of the ways in which this is really very different. I I can talk very personally about what I learned about my grief two weeks ago from going through my email late at night, and there were two emails in a row that were especially instructive. First one was a project that somebody sent me, and I looked at it and the attachment, and it wasn't what I thought was our best work. This has to be fixed. And I just sent it off. The next email I received was an article that a friend sent from Harvard Business Review titled, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And I read the article. I read about the work of David Kessler. I read about the enormity of loss, like Gina has been describing so beautifully. I read about current grief and anticipatory grief already being sad about future loss. And then I started to go inside. And I started to feel this incredible sadness. And I thought about 
my three friends who at that moment were all hospitalized with COVID and what came to me was thinking about my wife, family doc, who's doing nasal swab COVID testing at a drive-through clinic. All of a sudden, my grief and my vulnerability just swept over me and slapped me on the face in a way that said, Jeff, what did you write in that email? And I reread it and I wrote to the recipient, I apologize. That email was not about that project. That project will be fine and can be fixed. And it is far of less significance than much greater realities in the world, in my world, in our world. I think uh, that's part of what counseling these days is about. It's helping shepherd one another through this very uncharted but very bleak territory. One of the things that I have experienced in the last month is waves of up and down. So some days I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm optimistic, I'm pretty happy. Some days I'm confused and have a sense of real dread and darkness and have very dark thoughts about the future. And those come and go without me understanding why. I know I've identified triggers, right? Be careful about when I read the news, look at headlines, do all of those things that support my own mental health. But I think those waves of emotion and those different days is really grief. And if I think back at my experiences of significant losses in my life, deaths of people, and the grief experience I had, it's that same wave. You don't know when it's gonna hit you, you don't know why it hits you, it's an ebb and flow. And I think that is something that also is part of the challenge for us as professionals is that we're also riding those waves and we don't always know when it's going to hit us, just like you were describing. And then I think just like when you grieve in a family over a loss and you're all grieving at different times and you're grieving in different ways, it creates conflict and rough feelings. I think the same is true right now, right? We're all grieving at different phases. On a day I might be happy, you might be at your greatest depth of despair. We're not aligned. We're up and down on different paths. And that makes it more difficult because everyone you have contact with is grieving in some way. And you just don't know where they're at day to day. Where are they on that spectrum? And I would add into the mix that not only does that cause for me and the people in my life to be at different places in the waves of grief, which can lead to crispy interactions. But I also have plenty of crispy interactions with myself. Why are you feeling up today? (laughs) Do you know how many people are worried about loved ones in the hospital? I'm trying to think about how can I go through these waves, but to do so, I think, with more self-patience and more self-compassion and less judgment while still at the same time being open and non-judging and compassionate as I can be for others in in the throes of very bleak situations. Do you have strategies on how exactly to do that amidst an environment that is, depending on where you are or what you're doing, can be traumatizing? Well, what I just learned from Gina a few minutes ago is that naming it is important. To be able to say to myself, fasten your seatbelt, this is going to be a bleak May and June and we don't know beyond. And be prepared for what will be ups and what will be downs. And what do I need to do to hold on to 
those things that give me stability and grounding, my spirituality, my friendships, my mindful presence, my yoga stretching, my looking out the window and taking in the beauty of the rose garden. What is going to help me find a way to still stand even when the emotional ground around me is shaking violently? So for me personally, it's being mindful every day of where I am. I have felt so guilty on days where I feel good, where I feel happy and think, oh my gosh, the world right now, people are suffering. There's all this despair. I should feel terrible that I feel so good. And instead, I think we have to embrace where we are. On the bad days, we have to say, today is a bad day. I'm going to be more distracted. I'm more anxious. I may not be at my best. That's okay. If I really need to feel dark about the world and think about the long term, then do that for a period of time. Allow myself the space and time to do that. On the days that I feel okay, not feel guilty about that. Embrace it, enjoy it, relish in it, and in some ways use it to replenish the cup because another wave of grief is going to come, right? That We know that. Certainly I've experienced that in my life and other periods of grief. And so I think being okay with it, I think there has to be sort of this monitoring, monitoring yourself and thinking about, okay, you've been down in the depths and dread of things that are coming. Maybe it's time to change your mood. Maybe it's time to use one of those techniques for distress tolerance and try to change your mood a little bit. I think also when we're talking about with other people, because we're all grieving this way and in different phases, is to check in with people when you first have contact. You know, how are they today? Let's say you have conversations with your colleagues. Where are they at, at that check-in point? Are they having a bad day or a good day? So that you know how to respond and you understand where your differences are in that moment. Sounds like the practice of mindfulness is even more important now as our listeners are, are in the service of other more vulnerable clients or patients. Mindfulness helps me to be here with whatever this next moment is bringing to me. It helps me to build my capacity to sit with intended and the unimaginable. Some of the ways that I feel like I can build my mindfulness muscles are through reading poetry, through a connection with beauty, developing my spiritual life, through connection with others. You know, I, I was thinking about, again, my experience of grief. It feels like to me, I've lost three family members in, in my life. And so I feel like grief is something I've done a lot of. I think one of the things when I think about providers is that mindfulness, first, it's just the recognition that you are grieving and the allowance of doing that. So again, we're not superheroes. We're not running around with emotional shields that prevent us from experiencing what other people are. We're not supernatural. We are human. And in large degree, our humanity and our self-reflection is what makes us good therapists or be able to be present with others. So embracing that, embracing our own vulnerability, our own humility, and having some self-observation about that experience and also knowing when your grief is just overwhelming. So taking a mental health day. I think in, in times like this, providers feel like they can't possibly take a day off. They have to be on the front lines. They have to deliver. They have to take care of the world. They have so much on their shoulders. And really instead, 
we have to be the best at monitoring ourselves and saying, I need a day today to have fun. I need a day to watch movies all day. I need a day for spirituality. We need to be refilling our cups and we need to be monitoring ourselves. And that really does take some honesty, humility about the fact that we are no different than everyone we're serving. And this mindfulness is a practice, right? It's not something that you are good at the first time you start doing it. It's something that you want to repeat so that you are taking that moment for self-care on a regular basis, because especially if you're caring for others, it's also important to care for yourself. Do you agree, Jeff? Mindfulness is a lifelong journey of being in the moment. How do we be present even in the moments where we just want to run far away from the reality around us. So yes, I think it is, you know, a constant immersion and re-immersion and negotiating with oneself that are mindful of distractions and fears and worries and just coming back, just coming back, just coming back to this, this moment, this place, this conversation as best we can. I will be honest, I am not a good mindfulness practicer. I agree with you that it is a lifelong pursuit. One of the things I have learned, because I'm not good at, even though I teach the skills, I'm not good at sitting and thinking or breathing or running my thumb along my lip and being able to be fully present. I'm just not good at it. I've practiced it. I obviously need to practice it more. But I have learned that there are other things for me that are incredibly grounding in the moment, and they're not necessarily typical mindfulness tools. So I've really tried with clients to expand my horizon of what's an okay mindfulness practice, right? That there's no rules around it. It doesn't have to be in a yoga pose, and it doesn't have to be with perfect breath. There's a lot of ways to be mindful. So for me, the things that are most mindful are being outside. I'm just very grounded and very attentive to what's immediately around me. What are the birds around me? What is the breeze? What do I see, feel, touch? That's mindfulness. It's very distracting. It's all consuming. It's about nothing other than that moment. I think we have to find each of us the ways in which we practice mindfulness. And I think Part of why clients resist mindfulness is the way that we formalize it or structure it or name it, right? And I think more what we're trying to get people to do is live in the moment, find opportunities to get grounded and feel present. And there's many ways to do that. So for me, it's about exploration of that and and practice because it's just not my natural skill set. You know, Gina, you're reminding me of uh, Mary Oliver poem, The Wild Geese. Maybe I can just share it quickly. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air 
are heading home again, whoever you are, no matter how lonely the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place, your place in the family of things. Hope, Behavioral Health and COVID-19 is produced by me, at home, with my kids in the next room. You can follow HMA on Twitter at HMA Consultants, and you can find us on LinkedIn. Find out more about HMA podcasts at www.healthmanagement.com forward slash podcast. My name is Annalisa Baker. Stay strong, New York. Thanks for listening.